0: It's good when you hear of people who are who are staying connected and thriving off of that that you know simple idea of having a, a squad, you know. And I mean, ultimately, the best thing I did that being sort of dropped into this issue I didn't want to you know raise my hand and admit to, and then coming out the other side was I now have like four or five new best friends in my community, and we text all day long, and they, you know, I mean, they they it, it feels like it in in a You know there's this question of why do we need friends because you can make the argument that right now you don't need anyone in the modern world like i mean i can have all my food delivered to my door i can work remotely you know but there's the the general idea is you want someone that you feel like will have your back when it hits the fan and
1: welcome to the show i'm joe halton On the Guild of Dads show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills, and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts, along with topics and stories that will captivate you. I speak to fascinating individuals like writers, entrepreneurs, anthropologists, professors, psychologists, ultra athletes, and servicemen. Today I talk about friendship, and more accurately, lack of it, which is at the root of the modern loneliness epidemic. Why we think that we have loads of friends, but how in a lot of cases, they're just people we know, often from the internet or even work. I delve into why middle-aged men find it so difficult to make friendships stick, along with the surprising science behind loneliness and why it is quite literally killing us. Every conversation we have translates the experience and expertise of our guests into practical knowledge you can use to better understand yourself as a dad, and in the process, improve your physical health, mental health, relationships, career, and the way you show up in the world as a role model to the next generation. We also cover tricky subjects from all angles and viewpoints to give you a new and different perspective. My guest today, Billy Baker, is a staff writer for the Boston Globe. He specializes in narrative features and humorous columns. A graduate of Boston Latin School, Tulane University and Columbia Journalism School, he an acclaimed journalist who also has a Deborah Howe Award for writing excellence. He was also a member of the Pulitzer Prize winning team of the Boston Globe to have covered the Boston bombings. Billy's recent book, We Need to Hang Out, chronicles the chronic loneliness epidemic afflicting the modern man the effects it has on our health, how Billy went on a quest to salvage lost friendships, and the journey he went on during that quest, along with the sociology, psychology and friendship experts he turned to for answers to the burning question of male loneliness. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Incidentally, many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging the power of similar systems. ...to radically level up their lives and transform into the men and dads they always wanted to be. So you will be in amazing company. And now, to my conversation with Billy Baker. Billy, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Um, I reached out to you because I grabbed a copy of your book recently... Uh, we need to hang out. And it really kind of resonated me with me being a 42-year-old father of two. And as I said to you before we came on air, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in there really kind of did make me laugh as I was listening to it because it was just kind of very, very relatable. There, I know there's a story about how the book actually came about in the first place. And uh, anyone, listening to, you, anyone listening to your the way you kind of record it uh, in your book will we'll, we'll chuckle to themselves. But what did your editor actually say to you on that fateful day?
0: Yeah, so I got conned uh, into an editor's office with one of the oldest lies in journalism, which is that we have a story you'd be perfect for. And, I mean, that that line does something to your ego. And so here I am sauntering down to this editor's office thinking, like, what about me stood out amongst all these potential journalists and uh, i go to the office i sit down he looks across the desk at me and he said i want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends and i mean in that moment you know an existential crisis is going on in my head and while i'm going through sort of the classic fight or flight moment you know uh, am i gonna argue with this guy am i gonna start crying and run out the door he's rattling off all these reasons why he wants me to do this big article which is because there's this loneliness epidemic going on which was news to me and also that uh that it had these dire consequences for not just our mental health but our physical health and so you know in just a short period of time sitting in this office like a lot of things are thrown at me and you know naturally I walked back to my desk and my only goal is to talk my way out of this. You know, in my head, I'm just trying to figure out why I am not perfect for this story. And I mean, where I started was the truth. You know, I'm not someone that uh, didn't have friends. I I have great friends. But as I started going through that list of great friends in my head, it's like, oh, I I haven't seen that guy in a couple months. Like, and I haven't seen that person in years. You know, like all of a sudden... It became, you know, that 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 word you use relatable. All of a sudden I start relating to this thing. And by the time I sit down at my desk in the center of the newsroom, I was like, oh, I am perfect for this story. And it wasn't because I was unique or special in any way. It was because I was wildly typical.
1: Mm. Mm. And did you find and that? So, you, did you did you find that that was a bit of like a shock to the system? Then when 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 that first sort of initial shock subsided, you actually think, actually, actually, oh, he's got a point here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was like, am I lonely? You know, like it's the sort of thing you don't want to allow yourself to think about, and and, and I never felt lonely, but loneliness is 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 a is I never would have described myself as lonely, but there, there were things where like the social connections I wished to have were not meeting up with my reality. So, you know, so I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, sit there wallowing in, in in pity for myself for a little bit. And then I, I agree to take on the assignment and I start reading into this topic and it was shocking. It was staggering. It was like, I mean, basically painting a picture that the average person which I'm fairly average, right? The average person was suffering from high loneliness, and that that had I mean, the concept every every single thing you don't want to have in your life, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all that, like dying, dramatically increased by being lonely, even living alone, feelings of isolation, anything in that broad category. And, and I heard something the other day, uh, I, I was on a panel with a, a couple doctors and one of them said that there's a new study out saying that people who are sedentary but have a, lo- a robust social circle are healthier than people who are, work out all the time, but have no friends. You know, it was like, it, it, these things still, I mean, I've read study after study, the data is there, it still seems implausible to me. But so as I'm going through this, you know, the research for this magazine article, I'm doing what I always do, which is I'm being a little selfish. It's like, how does this, how does this work for me? Like, Mm -hmm. and how can I use this to change myself? And so initially I, 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 I wrote this article. I raised my hand in the article and said, you know, darn it. This is me. I've become a little bit of a loser and I didn't even notice it was happening, which was just as sad. You know, I'm someone who, feels very fortunate you know i have a, a job uh, you know i have kind of my dream job I, i've got a great wife i've got kids i've got a home i've got a lot going for me but at the end of the day like i you know friendship was not a part of my daily life it mm. was something that i did when the important stuff was over and the mm. important stuff is never over and and if i was guilty of anything it was in not thinking of friendship as one of the important things
1: Hmm. and did you and you mentioned it's interesting you because we were talking off air about uh, about Robin Dunbar and I had the pleasure of speaking to him a few months back and one of the things that he said was just exactly what you've just said to me about this study that on this panel that you've just come that you're appearing on because what he said to me was that because because I, I I suggested to him that the conversation seems to be moving away from diet and lifestyle more towards connections now in terms of longevity and indicators of chronic illness and this kind of stuff. And he said exactly the same thing as you just said to me, that there's the in studies that they're doing more recently, uh, that actually fact, in actual fact, you could take someone that is actually not in very good shape uh, and actually help them to kind of gain connections and stuff and have more and deeper relationships and fulfilling relationships and have a community around them. And in actual fact, the, all the predictors and markers for uh, longevity and stuff—they begin to—they begin to improve. And you touch upon the blue zones in your book as well, don't you? This, this, the where all the centenarians are living all, all over the world. So,
0: yeah, and and I'll say England is is considered kind of a world leader in at least acknowledging that this the the health connections to friendship, especially you're working hard on the seniors, you know, the 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 pensioners, I think you call them. Um, but the, uh, the, the the idea that like, if you don't want to see the doctor, see your friends still feels like odd to say, right? Like, I mean, we, we believe that if we, if we exercise and eat our broccoli and, you know, get our eight hours of sleep, that it'll have positive effects, but it still seems like I, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing the rounds talking about this. And I feel like a snake oil salesman when I'm like looking at people and saying, if you want to live a haf- happy, healthy, long life as as these blue zones have proven, like what you need to do is is not just have friends, but a way to be friends with your friends and to have friendship built into the daily calendar to really mm. have sort of a, an active membership and a tribe. and And one of the challenges in middle age, you know, in adulthood is like, how, you know? So, uh, I mean, so I, I wrote this article and it became like the most viral thing ever published by my newspaper. It was bananas. It was, I, they were going to give me an intern to answer my emails. I'm getting emails by the thousands from all over the world, an article about how men are lonely. It ends up becoming like the most popular article. Like it, it in, in the history of our website, like it was nuts. And the thing that I started to recognize in all these responses was that no one was challenging me on this being a problem. You know, it was, it was, no one was saying this isn't a cancer. What everybody was asking was like, well, what's the cure Mm. and in the strangest possible way, like it's a simple answer friendship right you need friend, you need friends that's what you need you need active friendships to actually execute that is what you know it's why i wrote a long book you know it's like oh my gosh was this a drama you know like so i i set out to you know selfishly cure myself and it, it was so far from simple and and i mean i i mean my, my first reaction when i find out that i'm now like killing myself by not having any friends you know I was like all right I've got to get the band back together right like I, I got to get I got to get my old squads and we, we got to reconnect and we got to hang out and and I did and, and that was fun you know I did a lot of sort of gimmicky things trying to re- reunite some classmates and and it got to a certain point where I realized that like however great that was you know that still wasn't changing the fact that i didn't have anyone to hang out with on a wednesday night mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm you know part of a, a an increasingly prevalent problem in the modern world which is that i don't live where i grew up you know I, i'm only about an hour away but i'm i'm in an entirely new ecosystem so i came here to raise a family you know the proverbial sort of you know great community for young kids but it was like, well, what, what, where does, where do I fit in? Am mm. I just hoping that I'll make a connection with another dad on the sideline at the, at the soccer game, or, or you know, is there, is that just how it goes? Am I just biding time until we all retire and yeah. reconnect on the golf course, like you know? So it was, you know, it, it it required me to think. All right, if I am going to really solve this problem for me and reap the health benefits. I need to build a new squad. I need to start a new band. And that's like so awkward. It's so like to set out in that, like we, you know, when someone's coming on really strong, trying to be a friend, it's like, it gets a little icky. Right. (laughs) And so I'm trying to walk this tightrope and, and it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the story of the book, basically the story told in the book, but it it was, um, you know, it, it ultimately became this thing where I, you know, I think, you know, to, to go back to this sort of arc of this story, initially, I was, like, trying to make my best friendships from the past, like, relevant again. Mm-hmm. And I made them stronger than they have been in years. But what I ultimately came to realize was I needed new best friends. And that's a weird topic because I think most people, and we know this from surveys, most people, when they think of that idea, that word, that phrase, best friend – you were thinking of someone you go way back with, right? You went to school with there, maybe, you know, you grew up with, maybe there's a cutoff after university, right? But the idea of making new best friends as an adult, it's kind of considered like not a real thing. But then I heard this joke, this offhand line from Mindy Kaling, this actress on her like sitcom television show. She says, uh, a best friend is not a person. It's a tear. And there was something about that that was liberating it was like okay i'm not insulting my best friends of the past by trying to add new best friends in the present and there were some guys that i knew who i like felt that spark with Hmm. it's uh you know that's kind of a usually a term used in romantic relationships and you know i address in the book this fear that men have of coming across as gay or or having that word thrown at them right but like there were men I felt a spark with, I felt a connection to, an attraction to, for lack of a better word. And it was like, all right, I need to try and convert these people from the guys that I say, hey, we should get a beer sometime with, to actual day-to-day friends, you know? And and so to do that, you know, I I, I apologize here. I'm doing all the talking and you're nodding, so I, I, I feel, uh, feel like I should keep rolling. But to do that, I kind of hacked... I use the science to kind of hack relationships. And the one thing about the science of connection that stands out the most to me is how there is a fundamental difference in the ways that men and women interact. Mm. So sociologists do these things called photo studies. They kind of creep around. They take photos of people interacting. We don't know they're doing it. And when they analyze them, there's a very clear pattern, which is that women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder. And the first time I heard that, I just had a far-off stare. Oh, I could see it everywhere. You know, it was like I picture, you know, the the bar or the, the sporting event or, or why I was so much more co- – you know, when someone would say, we should get together for coffee, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable. And, and I was never sure why. But if someone said, hey, do you want to come over and help me chop some firewood in my backyard? I'd be there at 6 a.m., right? Like yeah. it, it would – so I – it was a matter of so, and so that all ties into the fact that men bond over activity. Mm-hmm. It puts us in this shoulder to shoulder position. And I mean, if you if you think of your best friends, they're probably someone you went to school with or played a sport with or did, you know, military service, all these classic bonding mechanisms, it's because you're bonding over an activity. You're relevant to each other. you're necessary. So, you know, to 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 make friends in the present, it was about like, finding an activity, a way to be friends with your friends. And in the book, I, I started using this term, I called them velvet hooks. And the idea being that like, you need to find this thing that will connect you that's sort of soft, not overly committed. I don't need another duty on my calendar, right? It's full enough mm. already, but I wanted, you know, and we know what these things are, right? They're the the, the weekly sports team, you know, the, the, the book club, the, whatever they might be, the I don't know if you guys do fantasy football in your country. That's a big thing here in America. But, like, we, we know what these things are, and you got to kind of put in the effort and make them happen. You know, it, it's, it, it's weird to think about friendship as something that requires intent and effort because it happens so naturally for much of our life. But mm. when you hit middle age, like, you need to keep your friendships. you need to make it something you, you devote time to and effort to. There's a vulnerability there which is not a thing that men are taught to be comfortable with. You know, yeah. putting, making yourself vulnerable to another guy, you just picture being in grade school and you're going to get trampled, right? But as an adult, every time I made myself vulnerable, it was reciprocated in the warmest possible way. And that's where the magic
1: was. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting you say about intentionality because that comes across oh, again and again and again in the book, this this notion of being intentional about what you're going to do, an intentional about how you're going to set things up and how you're going to form these friendships. And it seems, seemed to me that initially you kind of, when you were kind of deconstructing the kind the mechanics of it, you started to do these different experiments where you were kind of right. Okay, well, this is how it should work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, first of all, and you mentioned, you know, the Facebook school reunion, but what the bit that kind of made me chuckle the most, and this is kind of an illustration, uh, as to how men and women interact in two different ways is, can you tell us about how you managed to gate crash a new kids on the block cruise and what you learned from that?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still recovering from that emotionally uh, in a few years now. But so you know, in, in there, there was this thing I kept hearing initially when I set off on this journey. I just kept hearing as a fact that women are better at friendship than men and. I was trying to drill down on that because, I mean, you know, I don't think men were the only one who were lonely or suffering from this thing. And I also, you mean, I've been looking at women my whole life, right? Like, it's like I, 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 I think I know what they're doing. But I was curious to see what they did when men weren't around. Mm-hmm. But it, that was a conundrum, right? In in American friendship culture, the thing that's held on on the, on a pedestal is this idea of the girls' trip. You just hear about oh when I go away with my girlfriends like that's our great bonding time that's our magic and um and so uh the idea was can I go on a girls trip with nobody noticing me and what happened is I heard that the new kids on the block which are you know like uh, were once a boy band now they're all middle aged dads that they had some annual cruise and that 4000 women went on this cruise and no guys and it was basically an opportunity to go on several hundred girls trips at once so i booked passage on the cruise ship i got on and immediately it was like what am i doing here and also what is it i'm hoping to see you know i it was kind of a dangerous experiment in the in the idea that i thought that if i just put on my monocle and stared at them as if i were you know jay Jane Goodall, right? That like some great revelation would come my way. And th- if there's anything I took away, it was that they just danced the whole time. And that was, you know, this is a chapter of the book where I talk about how these things that are kind of like magical for female friendship are so often thrown under this broad category of something that will get you shouted down as gay. And they're not, I mean, other than that being wildly insulting to gay people, they're not talking about you're, you know, being attracted to the other guy. They're talking about you, you're acting feminine. And that, that word is thrown out as this dog whistle, this safe word, in the instances where that's, we're, we're doing it right. You know, that's the exact moment when we're being honest and open and emotional and vulnerable and someone hits the eject button and we all go back up to the surface because that's not allowed for, for some reason. And the saddest part of the, about that, when you drill into the science and the psychology, is that it's learned. Mm. It's a learned trait. It's not something innate to the male homo sapien. Like, I mean, there are cultures around the r- world where that is not the case at all. But here in America, you know, you, you kind of put on uh, these shoulder pads to get through adolescence. Because you just taught to pretend as if, like, deep, meaningful relationships with men are not something you need.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because whenever you go, and I've talked about this before, and it's when whenever you go to like a, I don't know, like a family get together or a wedding, and there's like a, there's a, there's a DJ at the end of the night or a disco or whatever it's going to be, it's always the case that the guys are standing at the bar like, no, I'm not going to dance, no, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to dance, not going to dance, and then after a few beers, they're in the middle of the dance floor with their with their neckties around their head, like you, like Mark Knopfler off uh, Dire Straits trying to do air guitar, you know what I mean? And but it I, takes I a mean, few beers before they can do that.
0: <laughs> and, and and you know, it's it's often done, it seems like it's done as if they're like, I'm not actually having fun dancing, I'm making fun of the idea of dancing, you know, like I, I'm having a laugh at the expense of anyone who dare like this, you know, like and yeah, I mean, that's that's when. Yeah, I, I, I say it in the book. The only time men dance is like late at night at a wedding. Right. And and what happens at the end? It's it's the most fun part of the wedding. Right. Like that's the part that you want to talk about down the line. It's uh, but I mean, but what do I do with that? Right. I leave the cruise and it's like, I can't I'm, what, what I'm going to invite a bunch of my buddies to go dancing together. Like not going to happen, you know, like and, you know, you bring up Robin Dunbar. He, he's written a lot about uh, social grooming and dancing is one of these things that's uh, exclusive to humans as this way that we social grooming is a term where we can bond with more people than the one-on-one bonding the primates would use you know mm-hmm. grooming each other physically we can bond with many people we also do this with laughter we do this with singing humans are the only animals that sing together there are many animals that sing but we're the only ones that can harmonize but like laughter short sure. guys love that you know sitting around farting around with the boys like that that that's classic that's allowed but the idea of like another thing i floated was starting a choir
1: and i mean
0: like, that went less than nowhere whatever less than nowhere would be that's about how much interest my friends had when i throw the idea out there hey did you know singings is great bonding experience and there's actually a few instances of successful like uh you know Guy choirs, that, like they call them beer choirs, mm. but like that's another thing. Where and and that's a case where yeah, gay men in America do have choirs and probably have the time of their life, but they're not you know they're not being shouted down with that stupid word. You know, it's yeah. such it, it's it is ruined so much. I, I'm I have an 11 year old son and and he's about to get in that phase where I know like he's gonna this is gonna come up that 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 word or whatever the words you know. just whatever the word might be it's the same thing that is being policed because why like Mm -hmm. i don't know there's no answer to the why other than they learned it from someone who learned it from someone who learned it and it all goes back to what like some 1950s like post-war ideal of like this stiff upper lip and you know like this tough guy who doesn't need friends doesn't you know like just takes care of themselves uh, this tough guy thing like those tough guys die lonely, I think. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's this romanticism with, like, the sort of noble loner. Like, that, that's a myth. Like, mm. the, the, the loner is lonely.
1: Yeah, and I talk about this, funny enough, a lot with the, with the guys who follow Guild of Dads and, and and what I call the lone wolf fallacy. When, you know, it's a James Bond character. It's the Indiana Jones character that, that, that are kind of acting by themselves. And it's, like you say, it's a stiff upper lip where I don't need any help from anyone. I can do it all myself. Um, but in actual fact talking to talking to a lot of special forces guys uh, ex-military guys you know all of the people that I've interviewed all say that that men need to refine their tribes and they need to have like a, a tight-knit group around them even like special forces units they still operate in guy teams of four or five guys who each have each other's yeah. backs and and they're, they're in tight little kind of units and and I think that I think I think the in the ancient times I think they knew that but I think we've kind of forgotten that and even and even down to the last probably cuz like for instance I can remember my old man going to round table and you had rotary clubs and you had different and you probably had masonic lodges and different societies there was loads of different right. sort of groups for men which seemed to have kind of I am not say they died a death but they're not as probably popular as they once were in, say, the '70s and '80s, sort of thing, but right, but it's kind of left a, it's left a, like a, a gap. There's almost like a gap where it, where guys are like, oh, hang on a minute. So we're going to go inside our houses and we're going to switch on our TV sets and we're going to surf the internet. And uh, oh, hang on a minute, did we need to actually be around other guys? Oh yeah, chip, we do need to be around other guys at the same time as guys are getting depression, anxiety, mental health issues suicide rates in middle age you know all these kind of things yeah. have come to a perfect storm when at the when a lot of the time this stuff is kind of staring us in the face what we should be doing instinctively we know what we should be doing you know what i mean
0: yeah i mean i think you know in ancient times i don't think loneliness wasn't even an option you know you probably saw the same 150 people all day every day right like uh you 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 were never alone we had You know, we kept our elders in the house with us, all these things that have just become, you know, uh, washed away by, I I guess, the idea of progress. And it's uh, like you bring up the special forces there's a great book by Sebastian Younger called Tribe, which starts. He was a war correspondent and comes home from war and is suffering from all these, you know, the after effects. And realized he was happier in war and it was because he was basically embedded with these units and he felt necessary and connected and all that. And when he left, he felt the opposite. In looking into what he realizes is that so much of PTSD and all these uh, symptoms after people serve was because they they they'd lost their tribe, you know, and, and it's good when you hear of people who are who are staying connected and thriving off of that mm. that you know, simple idea of having a a squad, you know, and I mean, ultimately, the best thing I did that being sort of dropped into this issue, I didn't want to, you know, raise my hand and admit to and then coming out the other side was, I now have like four or five new best friends in my community, and we text all day long. And they, you know, I mean, they, they, it it feels like it in in a, you know, there's this question of why do we need friends, because you could make the argument that, Right now, you don't need anyone in the modern world. Like, I mean, I can have all my food delivered to my door. I can work remotely, you know. But you, there's the the general idea is you want someone that you feel like will have your back when it hits the fan. And the arrival of COVID, it felt like it, it for the first time in my life. I mean, it was like, do I need to go into the woods with a with a knife and come back with my dinner? Right? Like, is the world about to shut down? And I felt like that at the very beginning of lockdowns last March, that like every tribe I'd ever been a part of was kind of reconnecting in a way, you know, like the, the group text started, maybe we should do the zoom. And it was like, I mean, these are some were, were tribes I haven't had anything to do with in forever. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that natural human feeling that, you know, we, we do need people. We do need these connections and these crews and, I I, I've been doing, you know, a lot of interviews and a lot of people asking like what, what happens after COVID. And I mean, I don't know, but I think if anything, I hope it's one of these like absence makes the heart grow fonder situations where we, we realize we were taking for granted the fact, you know, that we could connect with our friends. We just weren't. And now that's been taken away from us. I hope that we are about to enter a new golden age of friendship. I mean, I'm, Mm. I'm a wildly naive Person in general, but I hope that in this case, I, I uh, that it leads to something. I mean, we've all been taught a lesson, and let's hope we come out of it where we realize. I mean, you know, friendship isn't just something you do after the important stuff is done. Friendships, it's the magic in life, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to have a great family, but you know that that broader social connection, getting together with friends. I mean, my kids are, you know, remote learning right now. They are. They, I just see the craving in their eyes. They, mm-hmm. they just need it so much and it's so vital to them and you know fingers crossed that the light at the end of the tunnel is closer than it's ever been for this thing but i really hope that when we come out of this it's just a uh, a new golden era of social connections instead of what it's been which is this this dive and america and england you know the, these two you know countries that seem to have it all have been leading that dive mm-hmm. you know and and i think you know we've been We've been misinformed by the misinformed for too long. We're chasing, you know, financial success or, you know, the whatever it is, a career, all these other things. At the end of the day, the people that are having the best time are the ones that are just hanging out with their friends by around the fire at the end of the night. You know, yeah.
1: it's yeah. it's
0: hopefully that
1: simple. I'm going to jump in here very quickly. If you have listened for any period of time you will know that I place a massive value in having a group of other men around you to elevate what you think is possible for yourself. I want to tell you about the exclusive brotherhood I've put together called the Dad Circle, which is a group of dads committed to improving themselves in a number of areas in order to become the men and dads they always wanted to be. Not just this, but hardwired into the fabric of this brotherhood are a number of features, including weekly Zoom calls, monthly topics, challenges, and assignments, together with a growing library of resources, fitness, and mental challenges. You'll get just the accountability that you're looking for when you're surrounded by a group of other men looking to level up and go on a journey in exactly the same way. If this resonates with you and you would like to find out more, head on over to www.thedadscircle.com forward slash join. That's TheDadsCircle.com/forward/slash/join. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's going to be epiphany of sorts because I think that you're right. I mean, I looked on my phone the other day, and and people sort of the amount of messaging apps there is on the phone now. You've got Messenger over here. We use WhatsApp quite a lot. Then you've got you know. Then you've got, then you've got email. Then you've got text. so there's probably there's most people have probably got about four or five different messaging apps. And I said to my wife, I said, actually, if they just had one app that brings all of this stuff into, you know, they probably already invented it. I don't know about it, but that brought all this information in one place that you can just open it in one place. But it's, it's a kind of weird time that we're living in because like it's like sort of, you know, we all of these labor saving devices were invented for to save outs to save time and then what the human race did was just spend more time wasting time on stuff that actually is not of no significance <laughs> whatsoever. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we've spent all this time wasting time on stuff that actually doesn't actually nourish or make our lives any better. And then gone into a pandemic where like, actually, I just want to man hug someone. I just want to put my arm around someone and like, or pat them on the back of the shoulder and stuff. And all of these... And it's re- I was talking to previous guests on this and uh just in terms of kind of what people have missed during lockdown and i said to him i said in actual fact what's interesting is that in the love uh, gary chapman's love languages book one of the main love languages for men predominantly for men is tact is is a uh, physical touch or being tactile and i said i said to him, i think to be honest i think that's what a lot of guys are actually missing more than anything else not 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 uh making out with their best mate but what i mean is is, this is is, is this actual kind of you know having a handshake having a side hug putting the hand on their back if they're having a rough day or a bad time of it or you know uh, and and i think that's what people have, have really missed in this last little period just 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 that the subtle tactileness of human connection you know what i mean
0: Oh, I mean, I, I had an experience on Saturday. It's Monday now uh, where a guy went to shake my hand and uh, we were surfing. We were standing on the beach. So we're wearing like thick winter wetsuits and all that. And I like shook his hand because we're wearing seven millimeters of neoprene. And then we both talked about how weird it was to shake hands. with Like it just felt so foreign. And like that tactile guy stuff, I mean, like just uh, – like roughhousing just you know shoving your buddy a little nut tap like whatever it might be the uh, i miss like the the simple things like driving in a car with someone you know like the like being able to like i'll pick you up and you know sometimes you know a car classic shoulder to shoulder opportunity right like so often it's it's those in between places right where he might be picking me up to go do this thing but it's in the car ride where the mm. bonding happens right or or often the car ride home you know it's I don't know. Like, I, I'm there's a lot I'm missing, and I it's uh, sometimes I don't realize how much I'm missing it until some guy sticks out his hand to shake my hand. And I'm like, is this allowed? Oh my gosh. Like, I keep having these weird feelings where I'll be watching like a, a movie and you know, they'll show a bunch of people at a concert, and I just feel weirdly uncomfortable. You know, it's like I forgot that that's how life used to be. You know, you could crowd in with tens of thousands of strangers. And I, I wonder if how long that's going to feel weird on the other side of this. But like being together, like I, I mean, and and I will say like uh, solitude and loneliness are very different. And so I think a lot of people when they hear about this topic in general like to go, I love being alone. It's like I'm not I'm not cheapening that or taking that away from you. Like I I got I got two kids that never leave this house. Right, they're in school. <laughs> Believe me, I like. I like my alone time but um I'm looking forward to being together more than anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz you can be and this is an interesting uh, notion of being physically in the presence of people cuz like people go, oh, "How can you be lonely?" cuz you're you're in you're in a house or you're surrounded by people or you're at work and and this is the thing with large-scale societies, you can be physically surrounded by people but still be mentally alone because you've not got anyone to talk to about what is happening, be it good, bad, or indifferent. Um Yeah. And this I think there's
0: this idea like lonely, we picture some recluse living in the woods by himself, and it's like not true. If you look at the data, I mean the average person is what a a, a lonely researcher would rate as high loneliness. Like, and that's based on how you answer simple questions like, how many confidants do you have? If you were sad in the middle of the night, is there anyone you could call? You know, most people are lucky enough to have a spouse that answers that sort of the, the core question. But you need you need connections outside of the household. So loneliness and also like it's not like a competition. Like you don't have to be, you know, clinically lonely, you know, like uh, in need of care to 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 tackle this issue within yourself or, or to be aware of it. And so, I mean, it, it feels like the time for this topic. Mm. When I, when I first dipped my toe in it, like, I, I don't think I, I'd given it much thought. I certainly was not aware that I was swept up in a, in a epidemic, but it just, it, that was four years ago when I first wrote that article. It seems like every, it's just coming up, it's coming up, it's coming up. It's it, it, it feels like what depression was uh, a couple decades ago. You know, it was something people didn't talk about. And now it's something people are comfortable being open with. They're uh, comfortable admitting that they need a little help or even better comfortable admitting that they got help and it was transformative. Hmm. And, and this is a case where I think it's the same thing. People admitting they needed a, a little kickstart help in their in their friendship life and, uh, and what it's done for them. And I'm like living proof. I mean, I was a guy that didn't know he was lonely found out that I was inarguably lonely and after doing some work, I'm now like, I mean, it's like as I'm talking to you, there's like text popping up on this other screen all like constantly. And I mean, good problem to have, right? Like I, <laughs> I mean, it uh it's endless. Uh but I mean it it I, I it's this is a phrase I hear on like, you know, Sort of like an Oprah type podcast, but like I'm in a really good place. Like I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but like (laughs) I'm in a really good place. And what did I change about myself? Nothing other than I have some guys to fart around with on a Wednesday night. And I mean, during COVID, so basically, the the outcome of this book was I started what was more or less like a Wednesday night fraternity. Mm. And during COVID, we that has turned into a gathering of guys where it's like how big can we build a backyard bonfire before someone calls the police right like so we found a way through it and that camaraderie of the campfire it's very primal it's very ancient and i'll come home you know my i'll be in a good mood my wife will ask what did you do and i'll be like i don't even know i don't like we we haven't forgotten how to be juvenile we hung out we told some funny stories you know and and at the end of the night i feel better i wake up the next morning i feel better it makes me a better employee and a better dad and a better husband all these things because like you know i i had some time with the fellas and yeah. and am i am i like is my physical health better i i don't know i don't know how i i would have measured that but i i feel like i'm doing all right i'm 44 years old and the wheels haven't come off just yet so I mean, it, it's the craziest thing in the world to say. But like, if you don't want to see the doctor, see your friends.
1: Yeah, blows my mind. Just, but it's just hanging, just hanging, and and then the uh, and and then and then your wife says to you, "So hang on a minute. So how's how's Steve's how's Steve's wife?" And uh, and and then and then you say, "Me and Steve didn't talk about his wife." So yeah, what about didn't what, come what about her car? <laughs> what about her car did it was wasn't her, wasn't her wasn't her car uh, didn't she have a problem with her car the other week uh no me and steve didn't really talk about that so what did you talk about uh just just guy stuff <laughs> uh,
0: yeah i uh it um i got an email today from someone who said i just read the book because my wife heard me on the uh, radio show, heard uh, me talking on a radio show and said that exact thing. She's like, you always go out with your friend and I come home and ask all these things. Like, how's their, how's this important issue in their life? And you go, I don't, I don't know. Like (laughs) it, it didn't come up, but that's okay. Right. Like, I think that, you know, like, I think there's this idea that like, you know, a weakness in male friendship is that we might not go to these deep places, but like that's not what I'm, I'm not advocating, like, let's all get together and sit around and talk about our feelings. Like that's, you know, mm. that comes up sometimes it comes and it's, it's great when it comes up naturally, maybe it takes a couple cans of courage. You've had a few beers and and that's when it comes up. But like the idea, I think it's, you know, why, like, yeah, I never wanted to get together and have coffee. I don't want to sit around and like, talk about our feelings, mm. but you know, if you want to like, hang out around the campfire and like, we went through a terrible phase where we were uh, burning furniture just because, like, you see people will put like furniture on the side of the road. And at one point, we started with a desk. And oh my gosh, does furniture burn? Like, it's, pro- I mean, we're probably all dying of lung cancer at this moment from the old varnish and whatnot. But like, it's like, it's, I mean, every guy in my crew is in their 40s or 50s. And like, it's just, a gong show it is nonsense and we have the best time and and like that i don't know it just it, it just took a little bit of effort and and the people that have really like started participating in this group participating by simply just showing up i think they, um, they'll all say to a person like it's been a great thing for them and they can't quite put their finger on why other than some some blank is no longer blank
1: yeah yeah and i like what i liked as well with the flavor i've got of your as you went through the kind of experiments it was very kind of methodical to begin with and looking for a deliberate outcome and when people didn't show up or they were flaky or whatever it was kind of like "Mm, maybe I'm doing something wrong here but it seemed to me like there was a realisation as you got towards the end that there was that you needed to be deliberate but that you needed to allow the outcome to become a little bit more organic rather than actually manufactured and that is kind of where where the kind of gold dust all of a sudden happened, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, it's exactly what happened. I, I was I was kind of staging, uh, I was being the party planner at, at the beginning. And then at the end, I, I threw the party and then it didn't, you know, didn't have a theme. Um, it, it was, and, and that also backfired in some ways. So I, you know, I ended up starting this Wednesday night group basically invite a dozen guys that I, I knew some well, some hardly at all. I just felt some sort of connection w- with them. And we started off hot, you know, everyone loved the idea. I got them all together. This guy let us use his barn. It was just like classic setting. And, you know, we got together ever I confess my whole story, this journey i have been on said, I, I like you. I, I think you like me. Let, let, let's let form a little club. It went great. And then it went a little less great. And then it got a little bit like, so even, it, to go back to, I was like, what are we going to, we're just going to get together in this barn and talk about our feelings. So it kind of ran its course. And so I, I think we were, we were feeling like we needed some sort of purpose. And, and ultimately I think I'd abandoned the very first lesson I learned in all this, which is that guys need some sort of activity. And we, once we came up with it, like what, what, one guy said we should build a BMX track and it was like, oh, great. All right. We'll be the guys to build a BMX track. We haven't built a BMX extra We haven't put a, shirt, a dirt, uh, shovel in the dirt yet, but we we do talk about it all the time. And now it's like we're a uh, we're guys who uh, light things on fire. And we've also been playing pickleball. Which do you know what this is? Pickleball?
1: No, 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 no. It's like
0: <laughs> it's it's halfway between uh, table tennis and regular tennis. And uh, uh, that's the easiest way I could describe it. It's like something that like our our seniors do and now we're doing it and it's hilarious it's just like guys just yelling at each other we're all terrible at it because i don't think you can actually be good at it like it's not (laughs) it doesn't have the sort of finesse that either tennis or ping pong would have but uh yeah now like some wednesday nights we're getting together at like a gym my buddy owns and setting up this little net with these wooden paddles and like little plastic balls and like i I don't know to go these are these little velvet hooks like do i go there to play pickleball no i go there to like play around with my friends and what what we're doing is playing pickleball you know that then
1: on thursday you go to the chiropractor for like a joint session with all four of you
0: oh you're not kidding like i i i I, there's a foam roller over here just because like for that very reason i'm having it band issues i didn't even know i had an it band but Pickleball is exacerbated.
1: It. <laughs> one of the things that I liked about your book, and and I'm going to sort of jump to something completely different now, is one of the th- one of the things that kind of struck me in the last little while is that we can be dads because I know you've got your own kids anyway. We can be dads to our own kids, but there's also. A role as fathers that we play to kids that we may not even know or kids that are in our kind of community or um that have kind of come into our lives and you talk quite fondly in the book about george and johnny um who you first kind of met when you were doing some some i think it was some outreach project that you were doing um I, it was a it was a journalism project that's it, but yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um and i just wonder whether you what um what it's been like being part of, because they were uh, Vietnamese immigrants. And I don't, th- I, I, I don't know whether their dad was, was their dad around or not around or there was. He had just taken his own life, like yeah. just
0: before I met them. So yeah. So what what had happened with George and Johnny was I, I was working, you know, in my day job at the Boston Globe, we were doing a series on this, uh, this bus line that went through, sort of the, uh, the, the rougher neighborhoods in Boston, Mm -hmm. you know, the communities where struggle is, is a part of daily life. And after a certain point, it was just like, you know, this, this guilt you feel like let's not, let's, it's not all bad news here. Like we, uh, let's end this series on a good note. And so I went hunting for a good story and I found a great one, which were these two brothers who had like the worst, you know, everything that could go wrong in their home life was going wrong. Their dad had just taken his own life their mother had mental illness. They were Vietnamese boat people, basically the people who fought in Vietnam alongside the United States. And then when we chopped it right out and left them behind, they got put into prison camps. You know, mm-hmm. like they had to, like, flee their country. Awful, awful stuff. And then they come to America, settle in Boston, freezing cold. You know, they're dealing with racism and, you know, every problem in the world. But they have these two boys. When I met them, they were 14 and 15. And they were like the best students in Boston. Like they were like at the top of their class. So I rode this bus line with them to kind of document how how, their story. And we, we connected, you know, I was probably, you know, early thirties at the time and they were um, teenagers. And when you're approaching someone as a journalist, you have to just let it, let the movie play in front of you. You can't intervene in any way, even though like, you know, the human in me wanted to reach in his pocket and pull out a few dollars when, you know, they didn't have any or whatever it might be. But I let it play out, wrote the article, got got a tremendous response. A A lot of people were really inspired by George and Johnny. But then when it was over, it was like, well, I don't need to follow the rules of journalism anymore. I can now follow the rules of being a good human. And we I mean, we already had a connection. So it was like, all right, like, I kind of became the the father figure in in a way, like in those things that I just took for granted, you know. Like I taught them how to drive a car, you know. I I I, I talked to them about women, you know, and like you know their first dates, and, and helped them with their university applications, and you know Christmas gifts and and birthday gifts and things that like just weren't like that they appreciated, you know. Mm. And and they, if anything, I mean their story starting out was of two kids who like. Got it done with no, no parent. And mm. I'm, I was like, you know, if my mother didn't scream at me to get out of bed in the morning, I would have been late for school every day of my life. Right? Like it, I it, uh, and so in some ways they didn't need me, but you know, and I don't want to take too much credit for their success or any credit, but the role I came to play, and I write about this in the book, and they re- were really like, I did, they didn't read the book or anything beforehand, but when it came out, they were like, that's exactly what it was. There, there's been this long-running study by Harvard University where they followed a graduating class, and then for, I can't even remember how long, um, like John F. Kennedy, our president, was part of this initial group, and then they followed their descendants and whatnot, and it, it's become a longitudinal study. And one of the things it's used for is to mine the sources of happiness, things that actually make you happy and successful in life, successful in your happiness. And uh, one of the biggest predictors was people who had the answer to the question Do you have someone to call in the middle of the night if you're sick or afraid? And I became their phone call. Mm. As simple as that is, I became their phone call. And Something about that allowed them to flourish. You know, they could take risks when they were away at school. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, if they had a run in with the police or a fake ID or something like that. You know, like that. They knew Uncle Billy is what they call me. That I, I'd 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 drive in and do what what a dad might do in that moment. You know, and uh, and so like that sort of thing. I mean. I've written about them several times now. And every time I do, it has a huge response. And it it often is a response from people who are either mentors, talking about how fulfilling that has been for them. It's a very selfish thing to be a mentor. It makes you feel good. I mean, you do it for someone else, but it's amazing how good it feels. And then I'd hear from a lot of people who are like, I had a mentor. You know, I was the kid from the struggling neighborhood, and I got connected with uh, this person, or he was a coach, it kind of became a father, whatever it might be. And how that was what I needed. That was the, the safety net underneath. And so, yeah, that is probably the most meaningful relationship I, I had, active relationship I had prior to going on this journey. And, mm-hmm. and when I sort of examined, like, why was I so good about being uh, having a stick to itness with that friendship, but I wasn't calling my regular friends on, on, on the regular. And it was because that, that had some stakes, you know, there, there were, there were some potential consequences if they fell through the cracks or, or if my mentorship fell through the cracks. And so, you know, it was, that is that dual reward in that's that feeling of being their phone call and knowing that they believe that, mm-hmm. and they've used that phone call, money, you know, um, it, you know, it, it it gave them the safety net to the point where now they're they're in their mid twenties. And I rarely hear from them. I feel like the, the neglected parent where I'm like, call your uncle sometime, you know, like I'm sending them the text message and they, they both have great jobs. They're flourishing. They have girlfriends, you know, they're, they're doing, they're saving money. They're doing all these responsible things that I was not doing when I was their age, but it's that simple. And like, you know, I, I wonder if I'm now ready for my next George and Johnny, you know, mm. like I, I, I am a, I'm a privileged man and uh, I have a little to give. And I wonder if, if it's time, because I mean, I think it's the sort of thing that's scary to think about taking on, but like the rewards are like, it it's ridiculous. And people like laud me as if I'm uh, like, I've done it. I'm like, bro, I, uh, these were good kids who just needed the tiniest little thing. Right. Mm. And, in what did they need they needed a friend that they Mm. could count on and filling that role it's been it's been you know one of the best things that's ever happened to me
1: yeah and that's why I wanted to I I couldn't let this conversation go without just at least touching on that and, and hearing what you had to say and I can see how much it kind of lights you up when you're talking about it as well so I love it I really do love it well, r- hey, before we wrap up, could I ask you how, how is your friend life? How are you doing? How is my life? friend life? Um, my I, I would say that I have kind of lost touch with a lot of the people that I went to school with and kind of actually probably some of them I don't want didn't want to be, <laughs> to be in touch with them. But I think that we felt I found that we made a lot more friends when the kids were young and my wife was a lot more kind of plugged into it. Just simply because there's more mum and baby groups and that kind of stuff and antenatal groups and all this kind of stuff, I think it's harder for dads so I found it harder to kind of make new friends off the back of that but I think certainly through school and that kind of stuff we've made I've made new friends and I still have older friends that I see and we live in a different area and stuff and that uh, and we meet up periodically. But your book is exactly, and it and it has given me some food for thought in terms of where I go from kind of here, if that makes any sense, because I am exactly as you described at the beginning of your book, definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's relatable. I mean, we titled, I mean, I'm going to hold up the book here. Uh, i it, it, title we need to hang out and the idea was like I just thought of it being that sort of book that sometimes it's a little awkward to say to someone like I want to be more than just you know mates you know I, I saw a comedian the other day do this bit where he said that uh dads don't have friends moms have friends and those friends have husbands <laughs> like and so sometimes it feels that way but like you know like if you don't have someone to hang out with on a Wednesday night then, you got to find someone you got to make it happen, you know, and, and they're probably right in front of you. So just put in the effort. Cause you know what? They, they probably need this too. And I think that one of the beauties of hitting middle age is that you're old enough to be honest and you kind of let the cool guy stuff die a little bit. So yeah.
1: you reach out and you will be rewarded. You're going to hold me to this now, Billy, you see. You're I, I am. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you're going to keep texting me now,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, the, the best thing about writing this book is hearing from people that, are like, I read it, I liked it, I reached out to whoever, and now we're, we're, we've decided we're going to, you know, join a bowling league on Wednesday night. Yeah. Like, oh, that's amazing, right? That's all it takes. And then you, who knows what happens next.
1: Yeah. So, if people want to find out about you, link up with you, ping you a message, what's the best way for them to do so, Billy? Really?
0: So uh, you know, I'm a Boston Globe reporter. So the my Boston Globe email is Billybaker at Globe.com. Mm-hmm. Um I write a lot of uh humor pieces there. If uh, you're uh happen to be um a reader of the Boston Globe, I uh yeah, I'm churning out content there. But you know, this book is, you know, it, it was a privilege to like in a weird way, it didn't exist. You know, like I can't think of another book that was just about male friendship. And a lot of people have asked, like, why Why didn't you write about female friendship? Or it was like, there's there's like a whole section of the bookstore devoted to this. It's just now that men are kind of feeling free to talk about these things. I'm glad I'm the you know, typical guy that everyone can relate to. But other than that, yeah, I have nothing to plug other than as soon as you're done listening to this, hang up and call your buddy call your mates call the call the guy you just met that you kind of feel like you could be friends with you know it it's only going to lead good places i
1: love it i love it and i'm going to ask you one last question that i don't prime any of my guests for and that question Billy is what is it in life that gives you meaning um
0: I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, the first answer I want to say is being a dad. It really is all every, every sappy cliche that, that I heard before becoming a dad has turned out to be true. But I, uh, I think my life is about chasing little sparks of joy mm-hmm. and and I'm kind of conscious about that. So like meaning for me is, 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 going to those places. Sometimes it's an activity. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a, something I want to learn. Sometimes it's something I want to impart on someone else. But like those little bits of joy, which are uh, always occurring in those moments where I may drill down right in that moment. I'm not thinking about something in the future or something in the past. Like that that's meaning for me. Mm. And so, you know, when we hang up the phone or hang up the zoom, like my boys want me to take them into the woods behind our house and see if we can find deer antlers this is the time of the year when they shed uh shed their antlers and it's like that is going to lead to such a little spark of joy just being out there doing nothing and except staring at the white snow trying to find something white that that's my life it, it it's just bridges between those moments
1: beautiful beautiful yeah. i love it i love it billy thank you very much for coming and speaking to me today it's been an absolute pleasure Uh, finding out about the experience that you've been on and, you know, the story that you've got to tell. Uh, I I would recommend anyone listening or watching to check out uh, Billy's book, which is entitled We Need to Hang Out. And it's his uh, memoirs of the uh, journey that he's been on. Thank you very much, sir, for today. And I appreciate the work that you're doing and uh, the awareness that you're bringing to this much needed uh, space in men's lives right now, sir.
0: Well, thanks for having me. You're an awesome host. I enjoyed
1: this. Thanks very much. Cheers, Billy. Bye-bye now. Cheers, man. I really enjoyed my conversation with Billy Baker and I really appreciate him sharing his experience and the journey he went on in getting to the bottom of male friendships and loneliness. You can email him, globe.com. You can also check him out on Twitter. The book we mentioned is entitled We Need to Hang Out, A Memoir of Making Friends. I'll link all this up in the show notes along with all the other stuff we discussed over at guildofdads.com What was really interesting about my conversation is that I could really relate to Billy and his book and it's certainly the journey that he went on in writing the book There's a common thing that us guys get to middle age we fall out of touch with people and our social circles develop around our wives and kids along with people we know Some people find the concept that you can be lonely but surrounded by people a curious concept. But as we touched upon in our conversation, this goes far deeper than being surrounded by people. It's the people that you could honestly call in the middle of the night or in times of need you really need in your inner circle. Hopefully our conversation has given you some much needed food for thought on the subject of food. Maybe it's companionship that's the real priority and it could be time for that burger or curry with a mate you have been promising for some time. Lockdown restrictions permitting of course. There's also a video of this interview over on the Guild of Dads YouTube channel and you can link up with me over on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook using the handle at Guild of Dads. I'm teaching you how to follow a simple system and plan just like many of my guests in order to transform all areas of your life so that you can live more purposefully with much greater fulfillment and meaning at the same time as becoming the man and dad you always wanted to be. It's all in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab it free over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Now, in order to have a positive impact on the world, we improve ourselves and inspire others. The fee for this show is that you share it with others so they may benefit from anything you find useful or interesting. If you know someone that could do with improving their relationships, could do with a life rethink, or different perspective, share this episode with them. The best bit, you don't have to tell them why you're sharing it with them, but it could be just what they need to hear. Now, the show is growing week on week, and I can tell by the numbers that it's growing. The best thing you can do if you're on iTunes is to drop a review, a rating and review into iTunes, would be much appreciated because it really helps other people to find the show when they're looking for new podcasts to listen to. I wanna thank all of you guys that listen on a regular basis and if you're new to the show, welcome as well. I want to continue to grow Guild of Dads, grow this group, grow this movement and the podcast and I can see that it is growing right now. If you want to surround yourself with other dads on a similar journey, check out the Guild of Dads Facebook group. There's some fascinating discussions going on over there and you can join the Guild for free by joining up with the uh, Guild of Dads Facebook group. Just search it out on uh, Facebook. Hopefully, you find something insightful in every episode. So share with dads you know. In the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning. Apply what you hear and we'll see you next time.